0: Try to get there before you sat down. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're reading tonight from Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. We'll read all the way through verse 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And all of God's people said, Amen. you may be seated. So tonight we're getting, we're kind of moving our way towards the very end of Ephesians. If you think back, we have spent a lot of time talking about the gospel in this letter. If you go back to chapter one, you kind of get this overview of almost God looking down at the world and and his provision for us in salvation, such a great blessing. But in that, do you guys remember it said that we were blessed with all the heavenly places, or I'm sorry, all the heavenly blessings in the heavenly places, that all things were ours in Christ. And we saw that beautiful salvation. Then you get to chapter 2, and you guys remember it started out with the bad news, that we were all formerly dead in our trespasses and sins, right? But right in the middle of that, when we were dead in our trespassing sins, God made us alive. And we learn in that passage that salvation is a free gift of ours. And it's a beautiful, beautiful promise because we've been rescued. Then after that, we saw that the gospel not only went forth as us as individuals, but he was creating a people for himself. He was bringing Jews and Gentiles alike together. He, 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 got rid of the barrier that was between us because we all now come to the gospel in Christ. We all come through the same message of salvation. And so we saw that play out, and then we begin to get into practical commands. How is it that we should live? We've talked about families. We've talked about submitting to the authorities and the government. we talked about husbands and wives. We've talked about children. We've even talked about slaves and masters. Well, tonight we get into a passage that I, I bet you've probably heard taught many times that we are to put on the armor of God. And we're going to go through these individually, but I want to say this. Sometimes when we get to this, what we get is a list of do this, 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 and this, and you'll be okay. And I want to challenge that a little bit as we read through tonight. But I want to see what does it mean that we put on the whole armor of God. So let's just get right into the text. Look down at verse 10. It says, Finally, Again, Paul's closing up this letter, beginning to wrap it up. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, that very first command there says be strong, right? And so a lot of times when you hear this preach, this is a very manly service, right? It's very manly. Hey, you need to be strong. It's kind of like Joshua. Be strong and courageous, right? And it does say to be strong. What's interesting in the text is this is a passive verb. And it doesn't show up that way in my English translation, although in some translations it does. A a passive means it's done to you. In other words, it means be strengthened, not just be strong yourself. In other words, this isn't a, all right, Christian, all right, you Ephesians, now it's time to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and if you do these things, you'll be A-OK. No, this is about, again, going back into the gospel, going back into the strength that he provides for us. And so even as we're told to be strong, even as we are commanded to put on the full armor of God, I want you to recognize that there's a lot of this. This is what Christ is doing for us and in us. But it is be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, if you think about that, it says that this isn't just any sort of strength. But we need to be made strong specifically in the Lord. The power does not come from the believer, but from an external source. In this case, that source is the very strength of the Lord himself. We must be given the power of the Lord or the Lord's own might. He gives us power to make us capable to walk with him and glorify him. And all this begins to depend a little bit on him. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might his might right it's not my might it's not you know what you just have to be strong enough you ever seen somebody and they're down maybe life has been hard and they go through a season and they're just down and you know what you don't always just go and tell them just be strong man get over it get up and do what's right now is there a time and place for that there sure is right every now and then we all need to be told that but as we go through life, sometimes the answer is not, hey, you need to do it. It might be more like, hey, you need to be strengthened by the Lord by seeking him. And it might be to remind them, you, don't, you cannot solve this problem on your own. You cannot fix your depression. You cannot fix so many different things that you go through. But what you can is be strengthened by him and his power. And so it's a call back to him in this. Now, uh, if you were to turn back you can if you want turn back to ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 and 19 here he's praying for them he says i pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and look, notice verse 19 he wants them to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe he says these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. What he wanted them to know back in chapter 1 was this: great, the surpassing greatness of his power towards who? Towards those of you who believe. In other words, God's power is directed at who? At us, right? And Paul is praying, I want you to begin to understand the surpassing greatness of his power, how great it really is. And it's kind of that, if it's so great. How can, can we really fully grasp and understand God's power? After all, isn't this the same power that brought Christ back from the dead, that promises resurrection, the same power with which he created the world? And there he tells them, I want you to know this power. I want you to begin to understand it. And he has to pray for them to do that. Do we pray that way for one another? I need to pray that, that Daniel will understand the surpassing greatness of God's power and I want you to pray that I would be reminded and understand the surpassing greatness of God's power are there days where you think God is really small and you think you know what my problem is a little bit too big and I'm not certain if God can handle it you ever thought that you don't have to raise your hand Tim says he's never thought that he and uh there are days where, man, you, if you're not careful, you can get there. And the Scripture keeps reminding us, hey, don't think that way. And it tells us to even pray for one another in just that way. Somebody's weak in their faith, maybe you need to go to them and say, Brother, I'm praying that you would understand the surpassing power of God's greatness towards you and the greatness of his power towards you. And you would begin to seek that out. But all of this is there. This is the same power that has, again, brought Christ back from the dead into the same power that now must be found in us. So the question then in in chapter 6 is, how is it that we get strengthened? In verse 11, it says that we are commanded to put on the whole armor of God. How many of you ever worn armor? All right, we got a few of you that were in the military. And have you ever worn, like, armor? Or have you ever watched a movie of like Jesus's life, or well, maybe it's the Jesus film, maybe it's some of these older, and you see the Romans there in their armor, right? And that's kind of what we have in mind. They'd have their breastplate, and the helmet, and the belt, and the sword, and the shield, and all those things that they would be taking to war, right? And, um, I should have brought some, you know, we used to have probably some Halloween costumes or something somewhere, and, uh, Should have made the boys dress up in it. Isaiah, would you do that for us? Uh, He's like, yes, yes, I would. I thought I'd maybe embarrass him, but he's like, no, I'll come up. But we know that that's the picture that's here. So from the pieces that are discussed in this passage, they're probably thinking even of the defensive armor. And after all, verse 11 says, you need to put on the armor so that what? That you could stand firm against the schemes of who? The devil, right? Any of you guys believe in the devil? Is he real? And we find that if you go talk to people, a lot of people don't think he's real anymore, do they? But then what does this passage tell us? You got to put the armor on so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So Satan here, he is described as the devil. The word devil literally means slanderer. Do you know that? He's the accuser in other places in Scripture. He is the... And if you look in John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, Satan is the liar and the father of lies. He's been a liar since the beginning. That's his nature. So his if you begin to think of that, and that he slanders us and accuses us day and night, his schemes and attacks are likely to be based on lies, and they're designed to deceive us. There's a mental game going on here, isn't there? There's a convincing and... What I want to argue as I read this text is that his real schemes are to begin to get you to doubt your faith in God. To not trust in his promises. And I think that that's what this armor is set up to do. To get us to hold fast to the gospel that we've been celebrating in this whole letter. To hold fast to the promises that Christ has already made and the spiritual realities that are already true for us. Look at verse 12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Who are we fighting against, church? There's Satan, the world, the demonic powers that be, that there's real evil in the world. And that sometimes I don't think we take that seriously. And it says our battle isn't against flesh and blood. We're not always putting on armor to fight some real battle, are we? It's a battle that we don't see, and that makes it all the more dangerous. Because he can go about his business, and he can begin to work his way into our church. And let me ask you this. For Satan to wreak havoc in our church, does he have to be here? doesn't does he because not only do we have these demonic powers and the and satan himself who says has his schemes but where do we find sin it's right here isn't it like we carry it with us and even as born-again christians we can harbor that think back when as we've studied this if you look back in ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 there was a section there dealing with anger and it said it told us they're not to give the devil an opportunity that when we hold on to anger or we let sin fester in the church, it gives Satan a handhold, a place to get his foot in the door. We've, had, we've, we've got a bunch of kittens at the house. And um, if you guys want a kitten, please come and get one. They might be from Satan. But these kittens, they want to get in the house. And they're, they're very clever. And they will wait till you have to go somewhere. And as soon as you open that door, they're going to get in just a little bit so that when you, you can't shut the door back. And then you know what's going to happen? Their brothers and sisters come, and they jump through the door too. Now, I've, we, we, you can stop that. But if you open that door just a little bit and a cat can get in, imagine if we hold on to sin. We hold on to that sin and we let, allow the devil to, do, uh, to go about his work. We allow sin to fester and it wreaks havoc in the church. So according to verse 12, again, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our adversary is a human, but that doesn't mean he doesn't come at us and use other humans. But the real struggle is spiritual. I think the, somebody, one writer pointed out that The word struggle there is the common word in in ancient Rome, in that part of the world, for wrestling. So it's thinking, you're thinking close, hand-to-hand combat here. Like this is, we are in a fist fight for righteousness. We're in a fist fight to see uh, how this is going to look, right? And it's not that the gospel is not always a question of salvation, but we know if we let sin get in our church, We've got a big problem, and this church will go down. And I don't just mean Forest Heights Baptist Church. It's true for all churches, isn't it? That there is room for that to destroy the testimony and witness of the church. Again, we fight against the rulers, the powers against the forces world forces of darkness. We see all of that. We know as we read the scripture that there are demons, there are fallen angels in the Bible. We know the spiritual warfare is ongoing. There's, of course, much that I don't understand about it. There's much that we don't understand when it comes to these things. But we do need to recognize the reality of the spiritual warfare. We also must recognize that all the above powers, everything we just talked about, are in subjection to Christ, that he is ruling and reigning. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 21, you'll see there that Jesus is now above all spiritual powers. They have, and though they have a part to play in our timeline, those spiritual powers, Satan himself, is no, are, he is no threat to Jesus. He's no threat to the gospel when it's all said and done. He will be cast down and cast into that lake of fire. Now, there's one more thing I want to say before we move on. I've already mentioned he's the slanderer. He's the father of lies. If you look at go on your own later, read Revelation chapter 12. And you see this throne room scene. And you know what we find there? Satan's standing accusing God's people. It says he accuses them day and night. He's, saying, he's standing in the throne room of God saying, look what Bobby did. I haven't picked on you in a couple weeks, Bobby. He's sitting, he's sitting there, look what that pastor did. And he's standing. Can you imagine Satan doing that, and, and he knows what you did? And he's standing in the very throne room of God, day and night, accusing you. And you say, well, if he's doing that, I might be in trouble, right? But there, what do we find? We have a mediator, an advocate, a lawyer with the Father. Jesus Christ himself, who's standing there saying, I paid for that. I paid for that sin on the cross. And I knew he was going to do it even before I walked up the hill to Calvary. And so we find that as we read this text, uh, we have such hope in this great spiritual power that is all at play, that all things are there. And though he is our accuser, though he is the slanderer, God is bigger than those things. Now, as we look at this, you know our strength? We talked about this last week with baptism. Baptism comes from our union with Christ, that we shared with him in death, we'll share in him in resurrection, that that's the gospel we find all throughout the letter to the Ephesians. We find it all over the place. We know that Scripture declares us to be righteous and holy because Christ's holiness is accounted to us. We also know that we have an active role, though, in our holiness, that the armor of God, I believe, is similar. So as we look at this, there's a spiritual reality that we find in each one of these. Right? You're put on you going to pick up the shield of faith in a minute. Well, how does salvation come to us? Faith. But don't we also have to have a life that is trusting in God's promise? So there's the spirituality of what Christ has already done for us in salvation, but also the part where we play a part, where we are active in following him. So I want to point that out, but let, just to convince you of the fact that we, in our, our how important our union with Christ is, that we are one together with him, that we get the benefits of his death and the benefits of his resurrection. I want, you to, I want to read this to you. It says, In the New Testament, we find literally hundreds of references to the believer's union with Christ. To cite merely a few examples, believers are created in Christ, Ephesians 2.10, crucified with him, Galatians 2.20, were buried with him, Galatians 2.12, Baptized into Christ in his death, Romans six three, united with him in his resurrection, Romans six five, and seated with him in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter two, verse six. Christ is formed in believers, Galatians four nineteen, and he dwells in our hearts, Ephesians three seventeen. The church is the body of Christ, as 1 Corinthians six, fifteen and twelve twenty seven. Christ is in us, second Corinthians thirteen five, and we are in him, 1 Corinthians one thirty. The church is one flesh with Christ. That's what we read last week in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, or a couple weeks ago. Believers gain Christ and are found in him. Isn't all of salvation already done? It really is. You have already been saved. And so what Satan does when he comes with his lies is tries to convince you otherwise. What he wants to do is slowly erode away at your faith. That in the end, you'll walk away and say, you know what? I don't know if I believe that. I believe that's his goal. And he wants to convince others to do the same. And so we have to wrestle with what he's trying to do. Because if we are saved, then we need to be reminded of the promises. And so he tells us here in the text, put on the armor of God. And that's where we're going to go right back into right now. But perhaps to sum up all the armor of God itself. You could say this, we are to understand, believe in, and live out our union with Christ. That's what this really calls us back to. So the first three parts of the armor are parts that we must put on. So look down at the text, we're in verse 13. It says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we'll stop there. It begins with having girded your loins with truth. That's a weird phrase. You know that most soldiers, most people back in that day wore the long tunics. We've talked about this before, and so they would have to, if they were going to have physical activity, they knew battle was coming. Anybody that knew, hey, I've got to run, you tied that thing up. You had to pull that tunic up and a lot of times they would take the extra fabric and loop it through their belt and so that is what it's saying in other words you have to be prepared here and it says gird your loins with what with truth if you look up gird your loins in english dictionary again it'll tell you you must be to get prepared for a challenge or a challenging situation you are getting to get yourself ready but not literally by girding your loins, because most of you are probably not wearing a tunic. But what it's saying is this, prepare yourself with the truth. In other words, remind yourselves of the truths that we find in this in the gospel. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Remind yourself when Satan comes and accuses you, wants to keep you in your guilt, be reminded of the truth. That sin has been forgiven. You are bought and paid for by jesus christ now there is a, again a second part of this uh, so one on one hand we recognize the gospel truth and we are encouraged by it and reminded the other hand we are told to put off lying and stop lying and be truthful aren't we and so in there one part of this is saying listen let's let's believe and be encouraged by the truth but let's also live in it let's begin to live out the gospel let's begin to follow him and their strength in that we have to have a right understanding to be prepared to combat the lies of this and deception of the devil but just as jesus practiced righteousness and truth the believer must also be truthful back in chapter 4 verse 27 again we were told not to give the devil a foothold but you know we talked about anger earlier it wasn't just anger in that passage the second part of the warning there was about lying if we are not truthful people and we let lying into the church, guess what? Destruction's gonna happen. It's gonna wreak havoc as we do that. Next, it says we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, you guys know what the breastplate was. It was made of metal or sometimes leather. It was made to protect your vital organs. Uh, if you listen to this, this is from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. It's talking about the coming Messiah. It says he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. I want you to think about that. Again, there was a reference there to God and to armor, right? He referenced in that text the breastplate of righteousness. He references the helmet of salvation. All that is there, and it was coming from Isaiah chapter 59. Now, that same passage also mentions the coming of the Redeemer, that we are again found in the righteousness of Christ. And yet we're also told to put on righteousness. In other words, when Satan comes and he says, you're not good enough, you go, you know what? The righteousness of Christ has been given to me. I never was good enough. It was his righteousness. And at the same time, as new people told to put off the old self and put on the new, we also then begin to follow in righteousness. And I believe that that belief and those actions go together. Right. This is not something, the gospel is not some intellectual uh, experiment where we just believe certain things. We believe it and we begin to walk in it. And so I think that's what it's pulling us to here. This is the command. uh, We already talked about that, so I'll skip that. But look down to the next one. So we have the full armor of God, we've, put on, we've girded our loins with truth, we've put on the breastplate of righteousness, and then in verse 15 it says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When was the last time one of you guys used the word shod? I can't think of ever using that word outside of the Bible, right? I mean, some of you may have, but I, I haven't, but sometimes you have to put on your shoes, right? And uh, maybe, maybe this week we'll, we'll start using that when we put our shoes on in the morning. Um, I don't even know how to do it, but we'll, get it, we'll find a way to make it work. Uh, so kids, just know when, when you come in and you get your shoes, we're going to start using that word shod, right? None of your friends will think you're weird or anything. But if we're to prepare our feet for battle. You know when when they study Romans and some of the shoes that they wear, you know they would actually a lot of them would actually put cleats in them, so that as they were fighting these fights, they can grip the ground and not be slide around nearly as much. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these battles, but if they're pushing each other with shields. Having the right shoes on might save your life. But what we find here says we're, we're to to wear these boots. They were normally wore these kind of half boots. That's uh, probably what we should have in mind here. Again, they would have cleats in them to give them traction as they fall. You certainly don't want to lose your foot. And can you imagine falling down in one of those battles? You're probably not getting back up. So, this is one piece of the armor of God that uh, cannot directly be linked to God or the Messiah in the Old Testament. Still, it is found in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. That passage tells us of a messenger bringing good news to Jerusalem. We understand this news. First, we must be found in the gospel, right? We have to be found in it. We have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But first, we have to be saved. And those of us who are saved understand that the blood of Jesus has brought peace between us and God, and we're confident that we are saved by grace that it is the gift of God. And only in that can we stand firm against Satan's lies. But notice that the gospel changes us. We are prepared to fight this battle. We're prepared to stand firm. As Satan comes, says we're able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil because we've put on the, the gospel. We've prepared our feet It says, with the gospel of peace. Verse 16, you have the shield of faith. It says, in addition to to all you've already done, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. As Satan comes and he makes his lies, and he comes and tries to deceive you, how were you saved? By faith. You were saved by your belief in him. Was it from good works? It wasn't. And there's two parts of faith, right? There's saving faith, the faith that we have at the beginning. But then as we go through life, you know what else faith is? It's continued trust in God's promises. It's an attitude of, you know what? Come what may, come what may, hard days, good days, the bad days, so much is going on. But you know what? I trust in God's character. Because he has made good promises to me that we find in the scripture. And we can hang on to that. So the shield of faith, there's two, again, two parts. When bad things come, number one, we recognize I was saved by faith. I have been rescued by the gospel. But second, you know what? I trust in him. You know, a big part of what gets people out of church and down is they begin to doubt God's goodness and his kindness towards them faith always brings us back. So you know what? I trust in the God of the Bible. I trust that He means good for me. Come what may. And so it's the shield of faith that Satan can, that was able to extinguish all the arrows of the evil one. The last one is the helmet of salvation. So again, it was we mentioned it earlier, it was in Isaiah 59, verse 17. It is the helmet of deliverance. As he comes to rescue his people. Back in the Old Testament, it, it, was, it was Christ putting on the helmet of deliverance. His people were hurting, they were enslaved, they were in exile. And guess who was coming to rescue them? Jesus. And as we put on the helmet of salvation, it is a reminder, he is coming to deliver us. And it is a reminder to us to, to bring that back in. The last one, we don't have a lot of time, the last one here is the sword of the Spirit, which it describes to us as the Word of God. And so we, the last is the only offensive weapon in this whole thing. Everything else has been for our protection. But then at the end, it says, take up the sword of the Spirit. We begin to look at this and we go, well, it's the Word of God, right? Well, what is the Word of God? I'm going to give you two answers to that tonight, okay? And number one, the word is the message of the gospel. I don't mean that the rest of the Bible is not inspired, but often it calls it the word, okay? You believe the message that we gave you, the message of hope and deliverance. But also, isn't the rest of the scripture God's word? And so we know that in Hebrews 4.12, it tells us that the scripture is alive, and it is able to judge even the very intentions of our heart. That it is alive, it divides, but it also leads us to Christ, and it gives us life. And so all the rest of these, I think, are based on, it's faith, man. You put on the gospel every day, and that's what the armor of God is. And you recognize the truth, though, and you begin to live it out. And that is the armor of God. But this last one, listen, I don't always overemphasize your personal Bible reading. I, you know, I think in, in God's ordinary means of grace, there's a lot of times where he wants us to come and study together. But you know what? We have the word of God. And how many copies do you have in your house? And if you've ever met someone that never has had a chance to read the scriptures, maybe you take it for granted. But it says here that we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we can take that sword and we can fight against the schemes of the devil. We can go into a lost world and explain the Scripture to them. And guess what? The Spirit will move and continue to move through the Word of God as we preach it, as we proclaim it, because the Scripture is clear, faith comes by hearing. And as we proclaim the Gospel, God moves and He continues to work. And so we have an offensive weapon here at the end. In just a moment, we're going we're to have a time of invitation. I want you to just think back through this. Go back on your own this week, though, and read through this passage on the armor of God. How can we survive the spiritual battle without clinging to the promises that he has made us? That we'd put on truth, that we'd put on the breastplate of righteousness, both in we trust in His righteousness to save us. But also, we want to live righteously. We put on our feet with the preparation of the gospel of feet of peace. We recognize and keep reminding ourselves we will only stand firm if we stand firm in our faith in the gospel. We pick up the field, shield of faith that come what we may we give God the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what? He's been good to us. We're going to continue to trust Him. And then, Uh, At the end, we, we put on the helmet of salvation, recognizing that God is our deliverer. There's nothing Satan can do about that. And then finally, we take up the sword of the Spirit. Let's do that, church. And it's easier said than done. But here's what I want you to do. If you have a brother or sister that's struggling, I want you to encourage them with this message. I want you to go to them and read this scripture to them and say, you know what, sometimes we just have to put on the armor of God and be reminded of the gospel. And sometimes there's going to be days and weeks where you're going to need to come to me. Say, Pastor, today's the day you need to put on, you need to pick up that shield of faith. Let's pray. Father, this passage is, is beautiful and rich and Uh, It's not a magic formula. It doesn't solve all of our problems. But I do know this, Father. You have provided a marvelous, wonderful gospel of grace. You have rescued us freely, and the world does not want us to believe that. Father, I pray that when we decide that we're not good enough, when we believe the devil's lies, that you would strengthen us with the armor of God, that you would help us to Gird our loins with truth. Help us to take up the shield of faith. Help us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And, Father, as we go in this community, as we take the word of God to the lost, Father, I pray that you'd help us to do it with the sword of truth, with the sword of the Spirit, that we would go with your word. Father, I know that you move through it, that you have promised your word would never come back void. So, Father, we trust in that tonight. Father, I pr- we just pray for your strengthening. Help us be strong in your power. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.